0: 101.7 FM. My name is Lauren Scott and I'm interviewing William Hazelgrove, author of Greed and the Gilded Age, the brilliant con of Cassie Chadwick. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: For our listeners who do not remember from American history, what is the Gilded Age and what are some important things to know about this time period?
1: Uh, it's basically 1865 to 1912. I always like to say when Titanic sunk, that pretty much ended it. So it began in the end of the Civil War and ran all the way up until you yeah, know, 1912. I mean, basically, it's a time of immense change where the United States went from a basically an agrarian country to a heavily industrialized country. Uh, national markets developed after the railroads uh, had spread all over the country from moving troops around. Well, then they were, uh, you know, they were used to move goods to market. So in other words, let's say you were selling your corn before at your local town. Now you sold your corn uh, to New York or Chicago. And then you maybe got your corn from New York or Chicago, or was shipped out to a local grocery. You got your shoes. So this began national markets. This also began uh, the big foundries, uh, Carnegie Steel, um, and, and so people then began to sell their time for wages, you know, we're useless, right? You go work for somebody, you get paid per hour. Well, this was new uh, to, to go, you know, work for somebody 10 hours in a day and get paid a wage. Um, you know, it, it was a new way of, of monetizing people's time. And, you know, there's sort of this wage slave democracy sort of developed. So, So the Gilded Age was, a lot of money was generated for a few people at the top. So we had this, uh, they called them the 400 families, the 400 richest families. So they they got all this money. And Mark Twain actually wrote a book called The Gilded Age. And basically he said uh, that, you know, the Gilded Age is almost like, think of a banister with a gold patina on it, but rotten wood underneath. And that's how he saw this time. It's easy money. Uh, morals are in the trash, people are doing anything to try and get in on it, and it's incredible change. Um, you know, I, I think uh, one historian said like if you you went to bed at eight, in 1865 and, and, and woke up in like 1870, it would be like a different country because, you know, this brought about mass change. Before the Civil War, most people lived on farms. After the Civil War, most people lived in cities. So So the Gilded Age was really a time of super easy money and incredible growth.
0: Tell us a little bit about Cassie Chadwick and why you chose to write about her.
1: Um, You know, I was sort of looking around for something to write about, and I stumbled on her story. It's one of those stories that kind of pops up every now and then, sort of a don't-you-know-this story. And, you know, we're all familiar with the Ponzi scheme of the 20s, but she really... Uh, predated that, uh, 1904, and you know the more I read about it, the more fascinated I became that she uh, was able to get you know probably the equivalent of sixty million dollars today uh, by saying basically she was the illegitimate daughter of Andrew Carnegie, who was the richest man in the country. So this woman of nothing—I mean, her real name was Elizabeth Bigley. She's from Canada, and she was a drifter. So she comes here and basically, through a series of cons, uh, works her way up to this massive con of of saying, this is a time when, by the way, you could change your name. And nobody really knew the difference, because there's no Social Security number, no IDs. You just said, well, this is who I am, that's who you became. So she came with this idea to say that she was this illegitimate daughter of Andrew Carnegie, and that she, in fact was going to inherit his fortune. And so this is what really intrigued me. It's sort of emblematic of the Gilded Age. Also, you know, it's a real woman story. Four women had to vote. Uh, And if you've been watching Inventing Anna um, on Netflix or the Gilded Age, uh, it's very much both those stories. Inventing Anna is Cassie Chadwick, where this woman... and you know, 2020 or 2018, said her wealthy father was going to pay off all these people, and she went around and just got incredible loans and all this money for people and basically built people out of all this money. Well, this is kind of what Cassie Chadwick did in 1904. And this led to the trial of the century, which was would become so popular and knocked Teddy Roosevelt's inauguration off the front page.
0: So she was able to convince these highly educated financiers to loan her hundreds of thousands of dollars, but how exactly was she able to do this?
1: Oh, great question. Uh, okay, so this is a time when bankers lent on perceived wealth. So she would get dressed up, come in with a card. One of her early cons, she came with a card, that said she was an heiress due to inherit fifteen thousand dollars, and she needed a line of credit. So well, they You know, now we do credit checks, all this stuff, FICO scores. At this time, if a banker believed you were wealthy, they could make a decision on the spot to lend you money. Also, she had a a strange understanding of financial documents, and she forged all these trust agreements, checks, uh, drafts on banks, um, basically basically, uh, trust agreements, which are very complicated, and she would give them to the bankers, and they'd be like, oh, well, she is who she thinks she is. And she also used banks like Checkers. She would get money from one bank, get a line of credit, then go to another bank and say, look, they gave me money for this, um, and I need, say, $10,000 from you, so I'm obviously good for it. And the bank would say, oh, well, you know, if this, uh, you know, Wade Park Bank gave me money, uh, gave her money, well, then we can give her money. And so she was very smart. Also, she understood the greed of bankers at this time. It was customary at this time for bankers to get a kickback. In other words, let's say you got $50,000 to get a kickback for five or 10000 So she understood the greed of these men. Also, she understood how they thought of her as a brainless woman. At this time, the best women could do was, say, be a nurse or a secretary, maybe a teacher. Um, and they were really second-class citizens. And so she used that. She used the fact that they thought, well, she couldn't ever be smart enough to pull a con. She must be just this wealthy woman. And then, you know, they would give her the money. And, um, and, and again, you know, it was greed. Um, also, they would charge her exorbitant interest rates. And, again, they thought she was too dumb to know the difference. And she didn't care because she was never going to pay them back anyway.
0: You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. My name is Lauren Scott, and I'm interviewing William Hazelgrove, author of Greed and the Gilded Age, the brilliant con of Cassie Chadwick. So many people remember Chadwick to be a criminal or someone who did something unprecedented in her time. But what can we say about her childhood and her personal life, things that maybe people wouldn't know?
1: Yeah, I mean, she was Elizabeth Bigley from Canada. She was poor, um, you know, not dirt poor, but the family didn't have much. Her father worked for the railroad. and very at a very early age, she was different. Um, she would go into what her mother and sister called spells, where she wouldn't talk to anybody. Um, she had a slight lisp. She was hard of hearing. She w- she wasn't beautiful, but she did have a sort of alluring eyes that people later said were hypnotic. Um, and she had an early fascination with wealth, with fine restaurants, with fine clothes. And so when her first con blew up in Canada, they took her to trial, and she basically acted like she was insane. And they said, tell you what, we're going to put you in jail, but you have to leave. And so she went to live, live with her sister in Cleveland, um, and her sister was living this very quiet life. And she immediately started conning people, uh, you know, getting loans from loan trucks, and then she hocked all her sister's uh, furniture. And, you know, when they came to collect the furniture, uh, her sister's husband threw her out. So then she changed her name to Madame de Vere, and she became this uh, sort of clairvoyant. This is a time when people wanted to talk to the dead. You know, religion was falling back with the advent of the 20th century, secularism, materialism. And so you know, again another con. She'd take people's money and, and say that, you know, she was having contact with their dead mother, dead dead grandmother. And, you know, so she she just kept conning people and then she bumped into a guy named Doctor Springsteen, married him, telling him she was a rich heiress from Ireland. Uh he dies, but she does have a son with him, inherits a little money, goes back to her sister to stay with her again. And again she starts doing this, you know, clairvoyant thing again and she actually ends up getting into a con with another man who was trying to defraud an insurance company and she actually took the blame for it. This guy sort of pulled one on her and she got sentenced to prison for ten years. And she only served three. But it's during this time she swore revenge against men. And it's probably during this time she started to think about the Carnegie con. When she got out, she sort of, you know, remade herself, went back to Cleveland and opened a massage parlor, and it—you and, know—at this time rheumatism was really bad, so it really was a massage parlor. And Dr. Chadwick, a very renowned uh, physician, comes in. He lives on Millionaires Row. Um, he's very taken with her. She floats out the whole thing. She's really an heiress, and they marry. So now she's on Millionaires Row in Cleveland with servants, cards, and most people would think, "Okay, that's enough." But this is where she you know, what what had your greatest scheme, which was the Carnegie scheme.
0: During this time, women were still not allowed to take out a loan at the bank. So do you think this is the only reason why Chadwick made up this lie, or was she motivated by something else?
1: I think she was motivated by a desire for wealth, for status, um... And I think she was always plagued by the feeling that, you know, she was she came from nothing. When she married Chadwick, she spent all his money basically. She redid the house, bought cars, went on trips, bought like eight pianos, um, and basically it was draining him. And she invited all the neighbors. They all came and thought she was strange. Some thought she was insane. Um, so you, but you would think, okay, you know, why isn't this enough? Well, I think it's enough because. In with Cassie, I think she felt like the more money she had, then the further she was from her, you know, sort of almost hillbilly roots and that she was as good as anybody else. And then after that it might just be that some people are born with this innate desire to create, you know, just criminal acts. I mean they just I mean, you do start to think of that when you read about her because why she just Every time, she just pull a con, pull a con, pull a con. She just never stopped. And I mean, in the book, I go into lots of them. But, you know, I think, I think it was just she was driven to do this thing um, to get as much money as she could all the time.
0: Upon doing your research on this woman and finding out about more of the cons that she pulled, is there a specific story that stands out to you or something that was just so preposterous you just can't forget?
1: Well, you know, I did all the research with newspapers, which was interesting, because there really weren't any sources. Um, probably a couple of stories. Uh, one was when they went to arrest her, um, she tried to get away in, in Manhattan in her carriage. She was going to try and go to Europe and just give them the slip. And the secret service agents and treasury agents closed in on her. And so she went to a room with her nurse. And the decorum was such of the day that they didn't just go in and arrest her. They went in and said, pardon me, madam, but we have an unpleasant duty to perform. We have to arrest you. And she said, but I'm ill. You know, I can't. What can I do in this, you know, big burly Secret Service agent? He goes, well, then I will wait outside for you until you feel better. I mean, this is the, the age of decorum. So it's all very gentrified. Um, and probably the the strangest story is this one. She takes a package. And she goes to a banker um, named Ira Reynolds at the Wade Park Bank and says, inside here is $5 million worth of securities. And he says, oh, okay. She goes, I want to put it in your bank, but I need a line of credit on it. And he goes, okay. Well, I guess I should open the package. And she says, do you doubt my word? And he goes, no, I would never doubt a lady. And he doesn't open the package and puts it in the vault and gives her a line of credit for $5 million, but never opening the package. This was open later when they found out about all her scams, and they had nothing on it, just paper. But that's the kind of effect she had on people.
0: At the end of her life, did she accumulate any wealth, or had she spent it all?
1: Uh, no, she was in prison. They sentenced her to ten years in prison. She died after three years. So, and she broke her husband too. He was broke, destitute. They came back. They thought he was in on the scam. He wasn't, but you know they took everything he had because she had broken a bank, uh, caused bank failures, ripped off all these other banks, and uh, they sent a man to prison it had nothing to do with it really, but they had to blame somebody. But yeah, no, she died uh, destitute in prison. Uh, a broken woman.
0: Oftentimes, she is painted as nothing more than a criminal. Do you think this is a fair judgment? No, I think
1: she's a product of her time, of the Gilded Age. Also, she, you know, they only char- they charged her with uh, defrauding a bank, basically, or a conspiracy to defraud a bank, basically, passing a bad check. Um, you know, you can say, okay, this was this criminal woman, but. A lot of men were doing the exact same thing who got away with it. And the bankers were all in cahoots with her in that they charged her crazy interest rates and kickbacks. And, you know, they went on. Um, The only reason she got really convicted was because this bank failed and people lost money. So, you know, you can make a case of, you know, if she was a man, could she have gotten away with this? Would they have gone after her? But because she was a woman, and you know, there's also a case to be made of. Okay, she got these loans, but these bankers made these loans. She didn't put a gun to their head. She told them, you know, I'm a rich, I'm a rich heiress. Oh, okay, well, mm, uh, you know, but they gave her the money, and you know, there was a guy uh, named Newton um, who lent her 190 thousand. And he later said he never believed that she could pull this off, that there was a man behind it, because no woman was smart enough to do
0: this. I really enjoyed this interview, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Our guest has been William Hazelgrove, author of Greed in the Gilded Age, the brilliant con of Cassie Chadwick. My name is Lauren Scott on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM.